Zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies, where we talk about Star Trek loudly at great length. I am your host, Kareen. I'm joined as ever by the fabulous Kim. Hello. And the adequate Ari. Hello. And we are here today to talk about episode 16 in airing order and our 16th episode, the Galileo 7. And you know you're in for a good time when it is a space word plus number. Yes. I dare anyone to discount this. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I like, think that's pretty sound. Yeah. Apollo 13. Other movies about space that I cannot... Uh, Stargate SG-1. Babylon yeah. 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 Babylon 5. Yeah. Deep Space Nine. Mm. Yeah. It all works out. Yeah. So, oh, guys, I have a question to start all of this off. Okay. That I'm going to direct towards Kim. Okay. This is a Vulcan-centric episode. Yep. And we watched it independently yesterday. And Kim texted me and said, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Yes. So I would like to start our conversation with, Kim, did you enjoy this episode? Moderately? Hmm. I I didn't hate it. I didn't, like, I wasn't bored with it. I didn't walk away in the middle for six hours. Well, no, that's not true. I did walk away in the middle for six hours, but that's because I just went to bed and I got up and finished it in the morning. But I did not hate it. It was not my favorite episode of all time, though. Well, there can only be one favorite episode, Kim, which we just had a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and that's At least as far as you know thus far. <laughs> and, and then we destroyed it. Yeah. Balance of Terror? No, we loved Balance of Terror. It was all right. Oh, F you. It was amazing. So this episode should be subtitled Star Trek HR Seminar on Cultural Sensitivity. Mm. Star Trek HR Leadership Skills. <laughs> Star Trek HR Don't Be a Petulant Dick About This. Star Trek HR Learn About the Goddamn Chain of Command. Yes. It is a curious story. And I know that I think in further novels it is mentioned that most of the people involved in this get court-martialed afterwards. Uh, yeah, I yeah. read that on because uh, I, I actually went to Memory Alpha for this because I was <gasps> looking up some stuff that I want to talk about. But mm-hmm. yes, I did read that what's Ensign or Lieutenant What's-His-Face in the blue shirt. Bo- I thought it was Bomer. Whatever. Ensign Blue Shirt or Lieutenant Blue Shirt in the books is definitely court-martial, <laughs> yes. which made me extremely happy. I. It's funny because I feel more lenient towards him than I feel like either of you are. Um, not because he isn't a petulant dick throughout the entire thing. Oh, my petulant dick remark was not about him. Oh. We'll get to that. Oh! I am surprised. But actually about, like, how you're supposed to adhere to the chain of command in situations that are kind of outside your control. Should, and yeah. I mean, we're going to get into this. Should Spock be in charge of people? Yes. Really? I think he should. He's- he becomes a really competent captain. Well, he isn't in this episode. He's terrible. I don't think he's terrible. I think that he's having a lot of issues. Like, I think the crew has issues with his lack of emotional displays. 
which is, I think that's, that's where it makes him look like a bad commander, but I don't think he is. Like, what did he do wrong, really? I, Other than be kind of insensitive about people's feelings. I think, yes, and he had a reason to be insensitive about I have no problem feelings. with that part. No, but that he was a poor manager and leader of people. He simply took the logical decision and made it and then forced other people to follow him without explaining to people or trying to lead them into the right direction. But he's also the commander. He shouldn't actually have to explain himself. In the chain of command, they should just follow his orders when they're trying to survive. But did he earn their respect in any way? That's not how it works, though. It isn't how it works, but he's a science officer. Their objections have nothing to do with the chain of command or following orders. Or or his competency. Or his competence. They're about... It They're would, about, oh, well, you're a crappy alien and you don't have human feelings. Yes. I think that all he, of their I think that they display a lack of cultural sensitivity, but so does he. I think Because he knows about human culture having sure. gone up through I the academy, makes... grown through Starfleet, and he has no cultural sensitivity to the, re- the regard to emotions and to the needs of his fellow people. Which is funny because actually I think that's out of character because in other situations he's shown more balance on that front. I would also argue that in this case it is literally a case of life or death and Spock is trying to get people off the planet as fast as possible because he knows he's working against the clock of Kirk having to leave mm-hmm. and he knows and he's got very little you know there's very little there's no fuel we're almost out of power we're not going to make it and we have to do this in this amount of time or we are literally going to be stranded or explode or burn up on re-entry with absolutely no hope whatsoever and in this instance for the most part the emotions are a distraction yes they are I- a distraction to the case at hand and I get what you're saying but I think one or two sentences of yes I expect that this must be very difficult to you but it is very important that we focus on the task at hand well the thing is he does but not until the very end which seems odd because he's been in starfleet for like what 15 20 50 years how many years he's old he's been human. around the block he used yeah. to have much freer he eyebrows. must have been in command situations before which is what spock no he hasn't me about this episode that's one thing that bothers me about the episode is everyone's like this is spock's first command everyone ever. feels real brand new He's the first officer of this ship. He's like, Kirk goes, Spock is next. And this is the first time he's ever been in command of something. Spock is often in command of the ship. That's true. We have seen in previous episodes that he is actually in command of the ship. So this feels very strange. And again, such a... Like they forgot about that for the purposes of this Well, it's such a routine mission of nothingness. Yeah. Yes. It was an extremely routine mission of nothingness. So what are they doing? They were delivering, delivering... No, they weren't. Oh, they weren't we... doing anything. They were just taking a poke at a quasar. Yeah. They were, ta- they were, <laughs> they were... <laughs> on the yes. way to actually doing something yes. important. It wasn't so much a pissed off. So it is stardate 2821.5. Oh they are supposed to be delivering medical supplies to, okay, guys, they said the six choose your own adventure. I went with Marcus 3. It was either Marcus 3. Mar- they said I, it every way. I also was fairly certain I heard at some point Paris 3. Oh, no. No, there was a, there, so they're delivering medical supplies to fill in name here for transfer to the new Paris colony. Oh, okay, right, right. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, Paris perfect. colony has some kind of plague. Yep. And they need these medical supplies. Urgency, but the actual ship is not leaving from Marcus Marcus, Macus, Macus, three until three days. So they, no, they've got five days to get to the rendezvous. Mm. It will take three days of travel time. Mm. Macus three, according to Memory Alpha. Well, someone snuck a little R&R in there, and so I'm calling it Marcus three. Yeah. 
So yeah, no, that was the setup was that they had five days to mm-hmm. get somewhere yeah. that would have three days of travel time. Yeah. So they have two days to dick around. Mm-hmm. According to Kirk. Some kind of uh, fleet mandate to specifically to study quasars. Okay. <laughs> now. Not, not, not phenomena in general. Just okay. Quasars or quasar related <laughs> phenomena. Yes. So, remember how I said the petulant dick part of my objections to this did not come in uh, regarding Ensign, Lieutenant, Blue Shirt, Lieutenant. Bomer, whatever? Yes, Matt Bomer. They come in for Kirk. Kirk is a petulant dick for this entire episode, and in the entire reason we have this episode is because he is a petulant dick. I completely disagree. I do not disagree with my own opinion. <laughs> no. So, here's the thing. They are... For whatever reason, the Galactic High Commissioner. <laughs> because yeah. the mission is that important, you have someone super high up the chain of command is accompanying all of this medication to make sure it gets you on the other end. No, they, yes, he's getting off with the medication. Okay. He's traveling with the medication. To the new colony. Yes, to ensure it gets On their way, they, they run into Murazaki 312, which is a quasar. Yes. Yeah. And Ferris wants them to gun it. To Marcus III. Which I think is a perfectly reasonable thing to say. Like, you have medical supplies, ship full of medical supplies, and a colony that's dying. Let's get to the rendezvous to make sure nothing goes wrong on our end or their end. And Kirk, Kirk essentially says, no, I ha- my job is to study this quasar. No. Kirk did not object because it was his job to study the quasar. Kirk objected because there was someone on that ship who outranked him and could tell him what to do. So he pulled his dick out, slapped it on the table, and said, look how big it is. I did and not. that's why they stayed and investigated that quasar. And it was huge. <laughs> and it was a dick move. It was a dick move. <laughs> I, and I, it got it almost, got two people killed and almost killed an entire planet. I definitely full of think people. that there is some dick swinging going on later in the episode, but oh, initially oh, I do not think... Dick swinging think... starts here. No. Because he doesn't think it's a high-risk enough situation for it to really be that confrontational. He's like, no, it'll be fine. We'll spend a couple of hours looking at this thing because no one predicted the completely inexplicable disaster. <laughs> no, the reason he doesn't want to go is because the other guy is starts off by saying, you know, I can just order you to go. But he doesn't. He doesn't. No, he doesn't. But he can. And that is why Kirk has to swing his authority around to prove that he's still the big man in charge in this well, situation. Well, that case, the dick swinging isn't started with Kirk. It started with High No, it's not. High Commi- I think it's like tandem dick swinging, frankly. Yeah. I, I was completely on the side of the High Commissioner. I thought Kirk was behaving like a child for this entire thing. And I blame the entire situation entirely on him not wanting to give up this tiniest little iota of control and just get there two days early so this guy would be happy. What about his standing orders? They could go back. If they're standing orders... I don't know that. Well, if they're standing orders, why can't he just go back and what look at it What if they have later? some other mission they have to do as soon as they go But they have the standing orders to look at that. Why can't they... They have standing orders, apparently, to stop whenever they see one. I thought this was stupid, and this is one of the situations where I think that Kirk's... Ego gets in the way of his ability to command. I think it's a matter of he thought that they had time and it wasn't a high-risk enough situation for it to be a big deal. I have to agree with Ari, but I also think it was a ridiculously contrived... I think it's a very contrived, yes. Oh, the entire thing is contrived. Yes, but like, to, be, to, be a ticking, super contrived. to be a ticking clock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, of course it was. But I think the fact that... Cur- Again, so, like, one of the things you're always talking about is, like, being a captain. Yes. And so I had that very, very much in my mind for this entire thing, because that's what the episode is about. It's about being mm-hmm. a captain. It's about Kirk being captain on his ship, and it's about Spock being, for all intents and purposes, the captain down on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that's why I thought that 
Kirk's command decision regarding not just going and completing this super vital mission that would save lives and really you're going to complain about sitting around for two days because you don't have to be there as fast. It was a terrible, terrible thing. It was bad decision making and it was basically him just being, I need to be in control of my ship. You don't get to come on here and attempt to outrank me. I don't think that that's what I like. Cause, like what made him make the decision to do it I don't think that's it at all I think that Kim hits on that there is a theme there's the contrast between Kirk on his ship and on Spock on the planet but I don't think it's about being a captain no. I think it, it's about being a leader and what makes a good leader of people and that and again the theme that kind of goes through Star Trek in a number of ways is it more important to benefit the one at the sake of many or for many needs of the many yes the needs of the many mm -hmm. so and i think it explores it in a uh, a terrible parallel if you want to say like a foil whereas kirk is very emotional emotional about what's going on he's making very human decisions based on the fact that there are his friends down on the planet and spock is trying to be very logical about it and contrasting maybe styles of leadership where, you know, Kirk has the respect and admiration of his peers on the ship because he's willing to take take them as individuals and that they're important to him and he's emotional about it. Whereas Spock, I would argue, isn't perhaps a good captain on paper, but a poor leader. Okay. At least at this point in his career. He does get better. I'm sure he does. Like, a lot of this episode feels horrendously out of character for him. Yeah, it really oh, yeah. does. It felt and out of context for the rest of what we have gotten so far. Like, as possible as it is to keep track of people's character development in original series Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, so I hear what you're saying, and I, I actually do agree. I think there is a, or they're contrasting, but I also looking at this as a point of, like, from um, your place in the chain of command. And what is Kirk, that for me, a lot of this was about what is Kirk's place in the chain of command? Because this is the first time we've ever seen Kirk with like a commanding officer over him who's actually threatening to like overrule his decisions, I think. Who's walking around saying, I can tell you what to do. Like 18 times. Yeah. Mm. And then we have Spock, who's sort of apparently for the first time in that command role. And he has the people under him saying, you're doing it wrong. So a lot of this for me felt about the chain of command. And as part of talking about... Um, like Kirk's role in the chain of command, I felt like he was pushing back against perceived, like a, a threat to like somebody was going to take away what was his. And that's why he had to make the point of saying, no, we're stopping to do this thing, even though this is still going to be here in two days time when we can but come back and look at it. I don't think we actually have any evidence of, of the guy directly threatening his command until the situation oh, he does. Are oh, he start. says essentially like the, the clock is ticking and then I will take over your shit. Yeah, but he doesn't According start threatening until it's already gone to shit. I think the problem the problem is is that this would have been a much stronger episode if they'd given more thought to the conflict up on the ship. Yeah. And Kim is right. It eventually devolves into a dick swinging oh, contest. Sure. And that dick is like the clock ticking down the seconds until they have to <laughs> a leave. Dick clock. Yeah. A dick clock. It turns into a dick clock. Instead of having some kind of other conflict to really draw them draw Spock and Kirk as foils to each other. Yeah. Here's another thing I don't understand. If you wanted a genuine ticking clock, there should have been two. One should have been the, you know, the mission that they were supposed to be going on. Yeah. And two should have been a much better one than random giant hairy aliens. It should have been like, we have a time-sensitive reason we must stop and study this phenomena right now. Yeah. Well, like it, a supernova. Because that, that was the part for me that felt 
contrived. So, yes, yeah. was that there was hell. absolutely no reason for them whatsoever to stop and look at that quasar other than Kirk pushing back against the guy who was ahead of him, like, over and him in command. And quote, standing orders, unquote. We, I'm sorry, but standing orders just mean if you have the opportunity, do it, but doesn't necessarily well, mean... we don't know that, to be fair. To be Okay, yes, we don't, but, like, when you hear, oh, yeah, okay, but I think so part that of your mission is go out, explore stuff, do these things that we tell you to do, and if you see a quasar, go look at it. I'm just saying I think that's what we were supposed to get out of that phrase. Yeah. I think that we are supposed to understand that it is imperative that they do go out and look at the quasar thing. The thing, the space pinwheel that seemed to keep changing about what it actually was. Well, look, one thing I am it was having an identity crisis. One thing I am very delighted about, though, is you know once we get over the incredibly contrived you know buy-in to the episode, we get to see our first shuttles. Oh, shuttle bay! So excited about the shuttle. Our second shuttle in continuity, I guess, but the first sight of the shuttle bay. Yes, I thought that was wonderful, like beautiful effects, like Mm -hmm. the shuttle shuttle, Galileo, the shuttle bay, like the shuttle bay doors opening and the shuttle leaving. Oh, point of order! Why at this point with this fucking music so ominous? Why wasn't it because they're off to their death? Yeah, but we don't know that yet. We're not supposed to know that. They're in a space SUV. The music is way too ominous. They're supposed to be like, okay, quick John out, let's do cool science. It's not a John out. This is dangerous. We're going in a tiny tin can in the middle of dangerous space. Yeah, okay. From our context, that sounds terrifying. But from their context, there's no reason to believe that it should be dangerous. And there's no reason within the text of this episode at this point that this seems like a dangerous thing. It's like, oh, it's a quick stop. We'll do, we'll scan some things. It's going to be great. Why else would you send seven people on a shuttle unless it was like. All of these people absolutely had to do specific experiments right now. It is a huge shuttle. Let's talk about this for a minute. If it's seven people, that, that is, is roomy. Of... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they didn't, like, it didn't really feel like there was a lot of extra space, but no. there was room for seven people to sit down and kind of hang out. Yeah. It looked like a, you know, like, first class and you see in the movies in, like, James Bond in the 1970s where everyone's yeah. got, like, I swear They're to God, there seats. was a place for a drink. Yeah. Yeah. There were two of them. I would like to bring us back for just a moment. Okay. Because I feel like we missed an important point when talking about Ferris. We did miss a lot of stuff because I just started He has the most hilarious uniform ever? No. Okay. He has both a cravat (laughs) and a cape. (laughs) And silver piping. And silver piping. He's a galactic commissioner, goddammit. 0% like a Starfleet uniform. It's just really fancy is what we're supposed to get from this. He is so fancy. He has a cravat. And, and a cape. cape. He looks like he's about to steal jewels after someone's <laughs> neck with a rose in his mouth. Yep. And then, like, maybe make out with her husband. Like, it is a very versatile outfit. It is. Do we ever understand what a galactical, nope. galactical high commissioner is? I'm not is? sure we ever hear the title again. Nope. I'm now calling myself that now. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to change your signature at work? Yeah. Galactic High Commissioner. I should Who's going to argue with you? My boss was giving me heck about my signature today. Maybe I should just change it to Galactic High Commissioner <laughs> yeah. and see if she notices. Get some respect, Kim. So anyways, there are seven people on this tiny shuttle. Mm-hmm. And let's see if we can remember them, because I don't think we are going to be able. We have Spock, who's in command. Yeah. Mm-hmm. McCoy, who's just, like, giving weird he's there advice. Be, he's there to be antagonistic and growly. And kind of saucy. Yeah. Amazing eyeliner in this episode, though. Did mm-hmm. you notice? Yeah. Oh, so mm-hmm. good. The makeup in general was very good. That's yeah. true. Scotty, who is probably the only useful person there. Scotty yep. was yep, my 100%. favorite person. Other than Spock, Scotty yep. was my favorite person on that yeah, shuttle. Yeah, obviously. He just wants to fix shit. Can't you leave him alone? Can't we? Yeah. There was the girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who did nothing. Who did Yeoman, nothing. Yeoman she, Mears. Oh, she was supposed to be, again, she was supposed, supposed to be Rand. Rand. 
And then she was written out of the episode. Fuck you, writers! Give me my <laughs> Rand! Every time I'm seeing places where it was supposed to be Rand and mm-hmm. we're just getting, like, the low-cal version, I'm so disappointed yeah, it's like, it's like bitter. It's like finding out that, um, what was her name? Laren in SGA was supposed to be Gina Torres. What? The space the pirate. space pirate lady who tied him to a chair. Oh, I hated her. She was supposed to be Gina Torres. Oh, that would have been better. Right? See? That feeling right it's there. It's exactly the same phenomenon. Um, she was the most, why she was on that ship, oh, I would yeah. like someone to sit down and explain that She to was me. there to fall out of her chair. And take notes. Okay, do you remember the scene, and I think you're going to remember it, Kim, yeah. is when, I think when they're escaping off the planet, spoiler alerts for the rest of this episode, where it kind of gives a shake, and she falls out of her seat on her, her knees. knees. Yes. She does that at least twice in the episode. She's just like splayed out like, oh God, well, I assume that's like the worst kind of porn. I assume that is meant to make sure that she doesn't flash the camera, but yeah, it's I pretty actually, stiff. It was for them to get levels in their shots where all of the characters are looking at the consoles because they need oh. someone who's low to make it a really interestingly framed shot. Right, right. I know what they're doing. However, her splayed out on the floor of the yeah. shuttlecraft was not comfortable. No. So, Okay. What are we at? We're at three, right? No, four. 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 Okay, there is the lesser, lesser Hemsworth. Yes. What was his name? I don't even remember that one. Cannon fodder number one. <laughs> I'm sure we get him. Oh, wait, wait. No, we do. It's, um... Not important. Lesser, lesser Hemsworth. Uh-huh. There was Gitano. Gaetano. Cannon fodder number two. Cannon fodder two. And then there was Lieutenant Blusher. Boma. Boma. I'm sorry. Kim was right. Boma. Boma. Who's definitely getting court-martialed. Oh, the first this. dead guy is Latimer. Lesser, lesser Hemsworth. Yeah. yeah. So we've got our seven on the shuttlecraft, mm-hmm. and they're the Galileo seven, just like the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Did we like that? We yeah, liked that. I did. I enjoyed so that So they are zooming out into space, into this quasar, and... That is actually a nebula. Okay, No. I looked up many pages of Google image results, and mm-hmm. that was a perfectly adequate quasar. Uh, I couldn't see any nucleus. Maybe it was just in the Maybe the early nucleus stages. was behind the planet, fine, Ari. Fine. Although I would like to know. was this planet? I would like to know. I don't know! I am not an expert or anything, but my space nerd credentials tell me you don't get a class M fucking planet around a quasar. By the way, first time. In this episode, we get <gasps> oh. a mention of Class M planets. Oh, did they call it Class M? Yeah, they did. Right that later on. Oh, yeah. that's delightful. Yeah, so there's a random rogue planet. Who cares? Yeah. So there's radiation coming out of this quasar, mm-hmm. and there's a little wiggle shuffle. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It, get, it starts getting very ridiculous. So there's ionization. They can't contact the ship anymore. They, it all goes bad real fast. It all goes bad real fast, which should surprise none of them yeah. because they nope. have the chief science officer on this shuttlecraft who maybe should have seen this coming. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. For me, I was watching this and I was like, all of a sudden, like, there's a planet? They crashed? What? Yeah, what, how? it sort of goes. What, how? Yeah, it makes no sense at all. So at this point, we all had to take a break and look up the Wikipedia article on what a quasar actually is. All I knew about it was that they pulse on radio telescopes. And so the definition. The broadly accepted scientific consensus is that a quasar is a compact region in the center of a massive galaxy surrounding a central, supermassive black hole. Where you would put a fucking planet? Probably not there. Nowhere. Unless it was being sucked into the black hole, in which case it probably wouldn't be as comfortable as this one was. (laughs) You know, and if that were actually happening to that poor planet, all those poor roar monsters on the surface would have been dead. Roar monsters. So quasars are formed... And they're normally caused by collisions of galaxies. 
Which sounds like definitely a place where you'd want to set up camp. It really doesn't sound like something that you would study by driving a starship up to it and putting it into park. No, not unless you were driving into the black hole. That seems unwise to me. Yes. So, yeah, stuff goes sideways, and they crash land on a M-class planet... Uh-huh. Inside the quasar. Inside the quasar. Or near or the adjacent? quasar. But then I'm the thing is, adjacent. then the quasar was never mentioned again. <laughs> yeah. We never see it again. We don't talk about it. It's just gone. We oh, but it no is. Idea. It is, it is. Because the quasar's ionization is causing the ship's scanners to go blank. And later they describe this as an ion storm, which is a different thing. So, I don't know what they were doing with this. It came from the quasar! There's a big thing, and they try to drive towards it, and it fucks up their sensors and their engines, and they crash on a planet that shouldn't be there, but apparently yes. is anyway. The sector is ionized. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. are trying to find a 24-foot shuttlecraft in all of space. For some reason, Ferris is very smug about this. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. Haha, you lost your shuttle. <laughs> How are you interrupting people? Um, and this is where, I don't know if it's Uhura, or I know she's the one that announces it, but someone goes and looks in the computer, or the sensors, or whatever, and Uhura announces, there's a Class M planet in this system. I don't know when this became a system, but okay. Uh, and again, this is the first use of Class M, as far as I'm aware, which is very exciting. Yay, Class M. But the thing that they say is that Kirk's kind of byline for the episode is, Finding a needle in a haystack is child's play. Whoop, whoop, Why would they be on that planet? It's a goddamn mystery. It was a bad setup to get them on a planet with danger. It is, and the clock is ticking because yeah. they only have two days to search and they have nothing with which, with which they can search with. Yeah. Because the sensors aren't working. Because the sensors aren't working, so they have to scan it by hand. Basically, yeah. Essentially, yes. It's so, as a premise, We've seen it in many other science fiction television shows, is that you have to ramp up the tension in one way, and that your characters who are trapped have to be in peril for their survival. Yeah. Sure. We've seen it time and time again. This is one of the sloppiest executions mm-hmm. of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it is poor. And we go back to the shuttlecraft NCC 1701-7, yep. that have crash-landed on the planet for no reason whatsoever. Mm. Yes, Kim? Oh, I wanted to... Two points. One, Shatner's hair looks very red at this point, and I don't know why. It's way more red than blonde. Um, and then the bridge is staffed almost entirely by ladies. It is interesting because I feel like on the bridge, Ohora gives most of the solutions to this problem. Yeah. yeah. I know that she is essentially like an exposition machine, mm-hmm. but... She's really good at it. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. that she is presenting the problem and offering solutions. Yeah. But this portion I found when we're panning around the bridge and like Scotty's gone and Bones is gone and Spock mm. is gone. All the... Pe- there's a horror and then there's like two or three more ladies at the yeah. back of the room and we're you're, actually you're following a, a lady walking around. Yeah. It was very, very impressive. And only one of them that I recall is visibly like a yeoman like walking around taking notes. Two of them are panels like doing shit. Yeah. The thing about Uhura is that especially in a situation like this, basically they are coordinating a massive search basically manually. They said a visual search from other mm-hmm. shuttlecraft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that means she's talking not only to the other, other shuttlecraft, but other departments in the ship who are carrying out their own assignments. She's coordinating the search, basically, and yeah. reporting back and yeah. distilling the information. Well, we've seen her do this before. Yeah. There was a security search of the ship, and she and, and Spock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and she and Spock coordinated the entire thing between the two of them. Yeah. 
I do like how useful she is. Yes. And I know Uhura gets slack for just being, like, the telephone operator occasionally. But her job's fucking important. It is important, and every once in a while, you get the feeling that they're being very subversive, that yes, she's a woman of authority and professionalism. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you're gonna have every department in the ship calling the captain directly, giving him updates on every tiny little switch they flip? No. Mm -hmm. So we go back to the shuttlecraft, and I would like to take a step back from the microphone because it's about to get slightly loud here. Already might want to tone down. Why are there no seatbelts in space? Uh, inertial dampeners. It's also the same reason there's no seatbelts on buses. Once you get over so many passengers, <laughs> yeah. if you crash, the casualties are going to be massive anyway, Both so you might as well things. just let everybody die. Mm-hmm. But there are seven of you. Mm-hmm. Like, they crash landed. Not only are there not seatbelts, but there are handkerchiefs. Yeah. Um, I think it's a thing that we actually see through the entirety of Star Trek is there's never seatbelts no. on the shuttlecraft. They crash into stuff all of the time. Maybe Tom Paris has some in the straps Fire, in his like racing shuttle. No, the reasoning, I believe, is that the inertial dampeners are supposed to make it so that the but ship doesn't get do- knocked around. But of course it does, because okay. every time the ship gets hit, delivering the kind of force that would make the ship rock in the first place, the initial dampeners fail. So, that is an excellent question, but it's never, ever going to be addressed. I think I'll just have to take that up with Starfleet HR. Yeah. So, one guy is rubbing his wrist. Yeah. This was last shuttle accident. First one to die. Tossed out of his seat and sprained it? Sure. Sure, why not? Sure. Everyone is hurt in some way or another. And Spock, because he is the commanding officer, decides to send... Lesser, Lesser Hemsworth, and Gaetano out to kind of scope the area. Yeah. Which, I'm not arguing with every decision that he makes, Cam. I was like, so what? He sent people to scout. That's a good decision. (laughs) It is. There's a secret phaser stash inside of the shuttlecraft, which I love. Mm -hmm. And Spock gives a rousing, inspirational speech that no one is going to find us. We're probably going to die here. Let's start repopulating the planet. He does not want to repopulate. He wants to leave people behind. Good, good <laughs> thing we brought a girl. Yes. Oh, God. It does. And again, we ramp up the, the tension. The transporters don't work on the main ship. There's no way to kind of beam down search parties. Lottie friggin' da. Mm-hmm. And I don't quite understand why they can't stay on this planet. Like, well, at this point, we don't know about the monsters. Well, of course there's going to be monsters. There's fog. But at this point, we don't know that. So you're right. There's no reason they couldn't just wait it out. The Enterprise would certainly come back for them. Yeah, like, they'd be back in, again, four days max. Yeah, Surely the shuttle has emergency supplies. You're right. At this point, I don't understand the urgency on the part of the the, the shuttle The people on the the planet. Yeah. Um... Although, are, are they like, well, we have to get off the planet immediately? Was that that, that when There's this comes up? There's immediately a lot of urgency that at that point okay. doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, I understand the urgency up on the Enterprise because they could be hurt. They could be, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever. But I wrote I wrote this. I'm like, couldn't they come back for them? Because at this point, we haven't met the monsters yet. But Spock immediately was like, oh, we're going to have to leave three people behind. <laughs> like, guys. <laughs> couldn't we just build a Slow fire? Slow your roll. <laughs> Like, why not just build a fire or some kind of signal and concentrate on maybe, like, catching one of those giants and roasting them on a spit and Yes, but what do they do instead? The two spares, Gaetano oh. and Latimer, who is Lesser, Lesser Hemsworth, 
to I don't, explore. To explore, I don't know for what purpose. This seems really unwise. But they don't they don't know anything about this planet, no, so it makes sense that they take a walk around. Yeah. I yeah. guess for maybe foods, food, sure. water, women, Shel- extra women to Shelter. repopulate the planet. They've got shelter. They've got the shuttlecraft. It's yeah. huge. Yeah, but having seven people in an enclosed space for a long period of time is going to start to smell bad soon. At most, it would have been four days. Yeah. Yeah, that is also true. They could have handled it. Yeah. I mean, everyone here has gone camping. You can survive around other people for four days if you have to. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. There we go. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. I think the tension would have been ramped up better if, like, the atmosphere was toxic or something. No, instead we just get creepy fog and creepy noise that sounds like, I don't remember what they're called. Mandibles. Mandibles. The wooden tube thing, that's what they're called? Didgeridoo. Didgeridoo? No, no, the one with, like, the, the ridges that you run the stick back and forth on that they give you in elementary school. I can't what are you what, talking about? It's a hollow metal. It's a hollow wooden tube, yeah, and it's got ridges carved about. into it. And then they give you another stick, and you run it back and forth across, and it makes basically the noise that they, the scary noise that is coming from the creepy fog. I have no idea what you're talking about, and I think this just might have been your hippie pot smoking neighborhood. No, this was an elementary school music. No, class. we also have them because uh, really? you can give children sticks, and yeah. they will generally know how to use them. Yep, it's true. Okay. No idea. Show. It makes loud noise. It does. But there's there's this entire dynamic throughout the entire episode about McCoy kind of like popping up. I seem like <laughs> looming up saying, hey, hey, logic isn't everything. And Spock going, yes, it is. And then Sky says, could we get back to work? Yeah. yeah. I never understood exactly what McCoy's reasoning for being like. On the shuttlecraft? A, on the shuttlecraft, but B, like, have an emotion, Spock. Other than that's, like, his thing is, like, Spock doesn't have emotions. Let's make fun of him for it. It's very strange because that is, throughout the entire thing, that McCoy wants to elicit an emotional reaction from Spock. Spock is not going to give him an emotional reaction. Save your breath. You could run out of air any time. Yeah. I always got the impression, because he never stops really doing this. I mean, he, he, it's, it... It loses the edge over over the years, but he never really stops doing this. It's like he takes his failure to elicit the desired response as some kind of personal affront. I think he teases Spock. Yeah. I think usually, except in this instance, yeah, it's, yeah. that is, is usually a friendly overture. I don't think he ever expects Spock to have an emotional response. No. Um, but he enjoys teasing him. Yeah, yeah, and I would agree with that from what we've seen so far. Except this episode where Spock not having an emotional reaction comes off like in a personal affront. Yeah, and it makes zero sense at all. I think because he expects leadership from Spock in he this situation. He expects a very specific kind of leadership, which is not the kind he he's going to get from Spock. Spock to immediately be like Jim Kirk. The thing is, I'm not really convinced that Kirk would have done much different. No. Except for the, the displaying the, the thing that Spock does that he thinks is going to drive the aliens off. I think Kirk might have done that slightly differently. But I think most of the rest of it, he would have done the exact same stuff. I think Kirk would have had a moment of, oh, isn't it a shame that Lesser Hemsworth is dead? Yes, let's let's bury him or take him back to the ship and give him the a performative part of it. The performative part of it, and that is kind of Just where I have a problem. Like I get that Spock doesn't have to have an emotional response to people's death, and that mm-hmm. I think is what Latimer is very. Is that Latimer? Latimer's the first Shirt? one. Lieutenant Blue Shirt is very upset is that he doesn't see an emotional reaction on Spock's face, or he doesn't see him acting in any, in any way different. He's mm-hmm. upset with that. What I think that. 
I think that's stupid. Yo, yeah, stupid. Because, oh, yeah. because he like, is a hell is stupid. And, like, that's also, another thing. Is like, this is this a military. Guy's, this guy's, like, what? A fucking ensign? He's a lieutenant. No, he's a lieutenant. Shut your mouth, lieutenant. Yeah. Well, I get that you would be upset, but you shouldn't be surprised by it. Like, yeah. you have worked with Spock before. You know that you are not going to get what you are going to get from your average human. I think that maybe Spock could have been as a captain, a little bit more aware of the situation because part of being on a survival mission is keeping morale together. It's keeping people from panicking, people from getting angry. But at the same time, Lieutenant Blue Shirt also needs to understand that, like, there's a giant roar monster out there that is going to put a spear through you if you spend ten minutes out there. they're not really in, like, a a long-term survival switch. They've been on this planet for 15 minutes at this point. It's like, dude, just chill the fuck out focus on your goddamn job and one of them is dead the thing is is that they don't have a lot to do they yeah. are essentially <laughs> wandering around the death they should have planet. brought a treadmill with them or like a board game yeah badminton um, badminton do you often pack a badminton set with you on a road trip just in I case think, I think physical more? exertion activities would be more useful in this sense like tiring them out like excitable puppies <laughs> I, I think that Spock doesn't have to give an emotional response to us, but he does have to recognize that morale is an issue here. And not that he would have to say, oh, let's have a service for him, but let's drag the body back. Because Spock does recognize that he did something wrong because when he finds cannon fodder number two, he, he brings, brings him, him back. back. Yeah, yeah, he does. So I think he does recognize that there's something logical about... Uh, the performativeness and acknowledging that this this upsets people. And yeah. he does get better about that over the years, like notably, visibly better. But... The thing is that I don't like about this is that it's not like this can possibly be the first situation like this he's been in. No. Well, there it is makes the thing, zero sense. Is that McCoy says this is your first command? Except it can't be. You're trying to use logic to build your command, but you're going to need to be more than logical. And Spock says, "I don't enjoy or I'm not frightened by command. I will do whatever logically needs to be done." Yeah, that would be great if this were like the second episode. But he's the first officer of the fucking ship. He has to have been in command of stuff before. Including perilous situations where they might die. That's true. And so I'm we just going to write... Th- I'm talking this up to bad writing. Yeah, which we should. We yeah. should. But we know that at the Academy, and in the Academy novels for children, mm-hmm. that they do put them <laughs> in these kind of survival situations yeah, yeah, before. absolutely. So this must have come up. Yeah. Someone must have told... Like, sat him down and gone, okay, I get that you don't... Like, with the emotions and everything, but you're going to be dealing mostly with people who do have... Like, this is exactly the kind of thing you... Ex- fucking management training and regular things on Earth now... Thank you. Okay, so can I take a moment and pause here because I think this seems like a good place to bring this up. I wanted to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation for a moment. Okay. Because this episode and the situation that Spock finds himself in is very reminiscent to me of an episode where Data finds himself in sort of the same situation. The episode is called, and I wrote it down, so let me flip to my page, it's called Redemption Part 2. This is the one with the net, right? Yes, the so they're, basically there's stuff going on with the Klingons and they need to prove that the one Klingon faction is working with the Romulans. So the Federation sets up a giant net of starships and they're pulling them from everywhere, including like their bunch that are coming out of building that are not quite ready. And so they're like, we have no commanding officers for these. We've got skeleton crews. So what they're doing is they're pulling off senior officers from all over the Enterprise and sticking them into temporary command of these ships. And Data is put into temporary command of one of these ships. And the first officer says, welcome aboard. I would like to resign because I'm not serving under you. 
and Data refuses him. And there's an entire situation, and it's the episode is about Data being in a command structure and being a commander who is incapable of feeling emotion, and this first officer pushing back against him and saying, you don't have emotions, you don't have feelings, you don't care about us, you're not going to do what's best for us, and I don't want to serve with you. And this entire episode put me very, very much in mind of that of that plot line from that episode. Except in that episode, Data is completely right and that guy's completely wrong. Yes. But yes, very clear yeah. though. Yeah, so it was it was this this it was very interesting for me to watch this and see like what a clear like this was definitely almost like a prequel. This asshole. Yeah. Yeah. So I really kind of enjoyed that a lot. Um but yeah, so that's my that's mm-hmm. my you're yeah. like you're thinking very hard, Kareem. I am. Can you lead Without putting into consideration people's emotions. I think you're supposed to. No. I mean... To, that, to uh, pretend that people do not have no, no, emotions no. and emotional Just reactions making to it a low priority how people feel about things. Because you're supposed to make decisions so, so I think for utilitarian reasons. For, I, went, I went back and I refreshed myself on Redemption Part 2. Um, and I sort of read the, the Memory Alpha site which very good site by the way yeah, I really I'm really enjoying looking at that um but there's a part where data has to flood a corridor or a couple of decks he's gonna let radiation leak into them mm-hmm. um and the first officer is like there are people on those decks you can't do that and data does it it takes him twice he orders the lieutenant like the, the first officer to do it twice and he eventually does it then whatever happens happens and data's immediate thing is shut off the radiation seal the decks get medical teams to where they are. Mm -hmm. So what he did is he did what needed to be done in the moment to accomplish the task, put people into danger. But was it the right thing to do? Was it the wrong thing to do? And that's sort of how I feel that what Spock is doing. He's like, yes, this might put people in danger. This might not be popular, but it is the correct thing to do to get as many people as possible out of here. Because we hear needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. Often in Star Trek, it's a Trek. big theme. It is a big theme, and I mean, for the most part, that is very—it's held very true by every captain that we see, every commander that we see, because that is your job. Your job is to get as many of your people safely through as possible and complete the mission. That's your job. Everything else is secondary. So yeah, putting people into danger—that's going to happen. You're in fucking Starfleet. Of course, you're going to be in danger and sometimes. That's that's the part of there's the episode. I think it's in season seven where Deanna Troy is taking her her rank or her tests yes. for full commander, yeah. and she goes through the oh, test over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and she doesn't pass until she can send someone to their death. Yeah, she can look at somebody who she would consider a friend and say. I know this is going to kill you. I order you to go in there and do this for the good of the ship. And Hollow Jordy goes, you're right, I'll go. And yeah. goes off to his death. Yeah. And so I think that is... Poor Hollow Jordy. <laughs> <laughs> can't even get a break when he's a Hollow Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I think that's where I'm like, this is, this is all the stuff that came up when I was watching this and I was looking at Spock. And it's like, maybe he's not taking the emotional considerations of the crew first and He's not coddling your feelings. Yeah, he's not coddling your feelings. But he's trying to keep as many of you alive as possible. Exactly. So get the fuck over yourself. Yeah, and that's why I don't think Spock made bad decisions. Everything he did was geared towards keeping as many people alive as possible and getting off the planet and to rescue and safety with as many people alive as possible. I do think... Okay, because what happens is... um, First, first dead guy, Latimer, who gets the killed by a comically, comically oversized spear. Oh, 
Um, <laughs> Spock and Boma come and they find him. And oh my god, we're like ten minutes. Into yeah, this we're ten minutes. We're gonna we're gonna really wrap. <laughs> we're like this forty up. minutes yeah. into recording. And, um, yeah, and Boma immediately is like, "Why aren't you like rending your garments and crying on the ground, Mister Spock? You're clearly a monster." Basically, I'm I'm paraphrasing. Well, but and Spock's like, "My concern for the dead will not bring them back to life," which is true enough. And here's where I wrote, when does Starfleet start mandating cultural sensitivity classes? <laughs> Hopefully directly after this. Yeah. Because what happens is there are these crazy uh, neand- giant Neanderthals. I called them roar monsters. They, they are, are roar reasonable. monsters. They sound like they're the great gnashing of teeth. Yeah. They spear the lesser, lesser Hensworth. Um, would, they were not allowed to show the spear in the back and his actual back. Oh, so, you really? know, there's some very weird editing going on, including the addition of some extra smoke, which comes out of nowhere. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I was just watching this. I was like, there's creepy fog. Clearly, at this point, you should just turn back. Well, the stupid part is, is they there's this creepy fog, and they hear that, yeah, yeah, yeah. They immediately climb to the highest, most open spot. Yeah. Good where job, you can guys. see them for miles. Well strategized. With their prone, fleshy bodies. And their yeah. bright yellow and blue yes. tops. In yeah. the land of gray. One of them is promptly speared and died. Lieutenant Blue Shirt is all pissy about Immediately, this. Immediately. Absolutely instantly. Like, yes. Dudes. Well, he, if you went back to Lieutenant Blue Shirt, he started not being happy with Spock. The second Spock said, you know, we need to get rid of the weight of three people. And he yes. was immediately like, oh, three people? Who's that going <laughs> to be? The thing is, Spock doesn't even say, we need to ditch three people. He says, we need, he, he, he gives a specific measurement and everyone looks at pounds. him. And everyone sort of looks at him and he's sort of like, that's about three grown men. Yeah. He's doing it like, oh, well, just to give you an idea, it's like three people. I have a suggestion. Ditch the chairs. That's what I'm using. The giant chairs that everyone keeps falling out of anyway. And that's something we see at one point is Bones and um, Yeoman Short Skirt. Yeoman Girl. Are actually there, like, taking stuff out. Like, this is 50 pounds that we're not going to need anymore. Dump it out of the ship. Although happily they are down, like, you know. Down one. Down one. Again. The chairs. Yeah. yeah. Those are huge chairs. You could probably also ditch the mini bar that's underneath the console. Yeah. I think they get it down to only needing, like, 150 pounds, like, pounds. one person. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, Ensign Blue Shirt, Boma, starts yelling again, and Spock's like, I think he actually says it to Bones. He's like, it's more logical to sacrifice one life than six. He does. Which is true. And Okay, and this is about the only place where I would agree that Spock is being obtusely insensitive. Mm-hmm. Is like he could de- diffuse this really easily. No, there's a dead guy on the ground. He pulls the spear out of his back and he's like, wow, interesting. I haven't seen a point like this for years. Yeah. That is, this is about one of the only places where I'll be death. like, Scott, uh, uh, Spock, get a grip, show some sadness. Like, not even sadness, just, just talk about the archaeological mm, interest of the murder shame. weapon. Yes. Yeah. And the part where they're asking for a service, and they ask Spock to do it, and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm busy doing a thing. He is not busy doing a thing. He is observing Scotty, who is the only useful member on Although this Although I would like to note that this is, like, the most inappropriate possible moment to hold a funeral while they're having giant spears chucked at them. It like, guys, is very guys, odd. it can fucking wait. You are space explorers. Most of the time, I'm guessing, there is no body. And in fact, we find out later... They don't bury bodies in Starfleet. They shoot them out of the ship. Yeah. 
Yeah, you put them in, a, in an empty torpedo, empty torpedo tube and you shoot them out into space. It's the equivalent of burial to see where they sew them up burial in their hammock. Yeah, yeah but they eventually inside. disintegrate, whereas in They will space. float into a black hole or a star. Or, or a quasar. Or collide. <laughs> or drift in the endless darkness of space. Yes. Yay. So yeah. then becomes this weird anthropological decision, like, discuss what kind of creatures this are. Having seen... Nothing. The equivalent one spear. One spear. Yeah. So they try to determine their entire culture from that, and they're like, "Oh, they're tribal. They have a sense of unity." And we're just pulling this out of our asses. Uh, yellow Gaetano so is like, Gaetano "Shoot them all! Shoot them all! Shoot yeah. them all!" Mm-hmm. And Spock is like, "No, we, there's no reason to murder them right now. They aren't showing us any additional aggression." I'm appalled by your lack of regard you have for life. Which, fine. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Like, let's not go massacre this this spear-carrying quasi-primitive culture with our laser guns. Yeah, so instead they kind of shoot the laser guns to scare it, and Spock is convinced that that will just kind of frighten them Because forever. it's logical. Because it is logical for them to see their superior weaponry and run away. And like, it is logical, but turns out that doesn't work. Because it just makes them mad. And then they leave Gaetano to kind of guard the rocks. For he, no for no reason. No, that is not logical. No. <laughs> Maybe he, Spock just really didn't like that guy. So you hear, you guard this fog that I have. <laughs> like, it it's a really nice thing, patch of it'd fog. It would be one thing if you were like, you stay outside the shuttlecraft and knock if you see a roar monster, but like, it's some random rock pile. My favorite part during this part where they're kind of shooting their phasers out into the middle of nowhere is that Spock doesn't shoot another phaser. He just climbs up a mountain for a little while. Yeah, for fun. Just sure. purchase. Yep. Purchase, purchase. And this is where you find out the shuttle is out of fuel. No idea why. No idea why. This makes zero sense, especially what happens later makes even less sense. So they shoot the phaser, they drain the phasers to be fuel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, of course, pisses off the inappropriate sentiment twins again. (laughs) And. Oh, guys. I don't even care about the plot. It was I don't. Great. The only no. part that I think really bears talking about at this point is when someone throws a oh. giant styrofoam rock at Gaetano. <laughs> Gaetano is, like, standing there with his phaser raised, and this rock just comes flying from off screen. <laughs> it's so comical. Oh, and they throw it at his hand and knock his phaser out of his hand. Yes. Yes. It goes yeah. amazing. Whoop! And then the giant roar monster goes towards him. And Gaetano just stands there. Like, yeah. oh! Because he's a dumbass. Okay, but had he seen any film in the last 20 years, he would have just Apparently grabbed not. between his legs. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I so, did, oh, I also really enjoyed that this was another monster we never saw from anything but behind. Yep. It was just a big furry thing. They apparently they had like a Westmore yet. They had a makeup artist who made amazing, apparently very amazing, very frightening faces, but they were so frightening that they were not allowed to show them on television. Oh, now I really wonder what they looked like. I'm sure that they were super scary. And Spock has a scientific curiosity to see what happened to Gaetano after he left him there to die. <laughs> and McCoy, as he's leaving, says he'll risk his life to help him. No, no, what McCoy says is he'll risk his life to help him, to help bring him back, but then he'll probably order him to stay behind. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, One thing that we did skip over was what was going back up on the Enterprise, where they've got a shuttlecraft out searching, doing passes over the planet in some kind of grid system. Yeah. And because they're running out of time, Kirk, like, expands the grid system. Oh, I like that little moment, because basically he switches it to a system that will be less thorough but will cover more area yes so basically because 
he tells Sulu to he tells Uhura to tell whatever the teams to change their pattern and Sulu's like hey captain and he calls him over and they have this little whispered conference which I really like this little moment mm-hmm. it's like but they won't cover like they might miss something and Kurt's like yeah but it might give them a fighting chance of covering the entire yeah. planet before we have to get the fuck out of here yeah. so Spock scampers off to see if he can find Gaetano body obviously yeah he leaves without a phaser he gives his phaser over to Scotty yeah. and by the way he's been left obviously on a rock as bait Yes, so yes, the it's a trap. It's a trap. And Spock back to the shuttle. I, on the other hand, well done, Roar Very, monsters. very good strategy. So we've got Gaetano on the rocks, um, uh-huh. and then a spear. The most incompetent spear throwing in the history of time. Uh, in the history of television, it clearly hits Spock in the head. Yeah. And then it chips the styrofoam rock that it also hits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quality special And also the effects. spear, I think, bits fly off of it. Yeah. It's amazing. There's great music. Uh, Spock grabs Gaetano. Here's the other thing. Spock is super strong. Super yep. strong. Yep. He doesn't need a phaser. Nope. Yeah, but he could probably take these guys on his own. The yeah. war monster is really big and yeah. furry. Again, run between their legs. <laughs> yeah. Solid. Yes. And He's like 20 feet tall. <laughs> amazing. Uh, back on the Enterprise in between here, they have got the transporters working and they're sending landing parties down. Yeah. Yes. I wonder what's going to happen to them. Because mm. immediately giant rocks start getting thrown at the shuttlecrafts. Close the windows, says someone. What windows? <laughs> shuttlecrafts shouldn't have windows that open. No. Why <laughs> no. would you have that in a spacecraft? I'm assuming that was meant to be like a blast screen, like a cover that goes outside the window. It doesn't actually happen, by the way. You can explain that any way you want to. There know. are no windows on this thing. Then la, little, so Spock has a little Vulcan existential crisis. What? They, this is what a they very, very logically done. And Bones is like, did it ever occur to you they might react emotionally? <laughs> I love Spock's response. I am not responsible for their unpredictability. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy says, little less analysis, a little more action. Yeah, yeah. it's like, Come on. And I also like what Spock said when he was talking to himself. He's like, I have made the correct and logical decisions, yet two men have died. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this would be a great little crisis if it were believably his first command. Yeah. In this point, it makes no sense. Even setting aside the first command nonsense, I really like this because it is... You know, you can make all the right decisions and still and yes. people will still die. Oh, yes. It is possible to make no mistakes and still lose. Oh, who's the card? To data. Oh, lovely. Aww. What a moment. Yeah. What a moment. And then like Lieutenant Blue Shirt and Spock get into a number of arguments, uh, all of which are pointless. Completely pointless. About how he is sick and tired of this machine. Uh, then sit down and shut up, maybe? Well no, he says go Spock says fine, go and have your burial and while you're at it, dig your own grave. Yeah, he wants he wants Spock and Scotty and everybody else to stop repairs in the shuttle to have a funeral while rocks are being chucked in the no, shuttle. No, 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 no. The rocks are stopping oh, right. the shuttle this part. Because Scotty electrified the hull. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Scotty, the only useful member of this entire party. True. He wears the sparkliest insulated gloves that have ever been. They were so which, fabulous. Just by looking at those are definitely not insulated. <laughs> no. <laughs> at all. So they electrocute the entire outside of the shuttle so that the monsters go away. Yeah. And we get go back to the ship where Ensign, it's our first Ensign in the entirety yeah. of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Ensign O'Neill reports that that planet is full of scary roar monsters. Yeah. Other people are dead. Yeah. yeah. Oh, a dear. Yeah. It is time for them to leave the planet. The clock is up. It'll take 23 minutes for the Columbus to come back. 10 minutes to bury Gatano. The clock ticks. 
Yeah. And um, now Spock says he'll help. Well, here's the thing. You know, when Kirk is finally, the commissioner is like, your 48 hours are up. We are leaving now. Yeah. Kirk actually seemed to me surprised that he was being told to leave. Like, but we're still looking. I didn't think so. I thought he seemed like, I can't believe you're actually pulling rank. Like, we're still looking. And then it was still additional time. To get everybody back, ready to go. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was genuine surprise. I think it was for form's sake. It's like he really doesn't want to abandon those people. Yeah. Nonetheless, due to only Scotty's hard work, mm-hmm. they yep. do blast off of this planet. Yep. Uh, another argument for seatbelts in space because girl falls off the chair like a frog for like the ninth time. For the ninth. The Enterprise time. has already turned and is leaving, but they've it's got on their its way out. they've got their sensors pointed back though. Because he wants to watch into the last possible second. Yes, there is a nice moment. This is where a good little sequence. Spock, the monsters are holding on to the shuttlecraft, yeah. <laughs> which we see no shots of because that nope. would have been terribly expensive yeah. and probably really funny looking. So Spock goes out to like kick them in the head or something, or something, and he gets trapped by a rock that they have thrown on, and he says, "Go, go, leave me, leave me. Do not come back. For Do me. not come back for me." So immediately, McCoy and Blue Shirt sure. come back for him. Yeah, Boma. Yeah, Boma, and he's he's very frustrated. He's still like, "You shouldn't have. You should have left me behind." And McCoy says, "I'm sick and tired of your logic." <laughs> and again, like this is an argument, a slight one, against why you need a little bit of emotion to seep into your command. Because if not, you know, Spock would have been unnecessarily murdered by rocks. Well, I'm thinking that in a quasi-military structure, the correct decision was to leave him, technically, because it's the good of the many thing. I'm thinking, like, John Shepard being given a black mark for going back for those guys in the crash helicopter. Yeah. It's like, yes, it was the moral thing to do, but within the structure of this organization... It was technically the wrong thing to do. The military is full of people who do not care for rules. Well, yes, of course it is. They actively but recruit people. The thing who is do that there's like two conversations here, and one he was wrong, and in one he was right. So it's one of those going back was. It's an exception, not the rule. Yeah, it's like you really shouldn't behave like that on a general basis because more people would die. Well, I think this was Spock telling them not to save him. Was also him showing concern for the rest of the crew. Yeah. Like, do not save me what if and get up murdered in the process and screw up the escape. Yeah, I think it's supposed to also redeem Spock in the eyes of the viewer because I had a really hard time watching him, but I felt like this showed that he is fair in the way that he applies his logic. There are no exceptions, even for himself. Here's what I think, though, is that if they hadn't managed, if they hadn't, like, gotten another... Did you notice that only white guys got killed in this episode? Yeah. I was, like, that's excellent. But, um, that's an aside. Uh, that if they hadn't lost another, basically, red shirt, that Spock would have been the one staying behind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, would he have stayed behind? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. The second that the idea came up that I'm, three, I was sure people, of it. three people were going to have to stay on the planet, Spock was, no way Spock would not say one of them is being. It's also upheld by oh, no, 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 Starfleet no, no. tradition. Oh, yes. He's no, not necessary no, 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 no. to get the ship out of, into orbit. Scotty is. Basically, okay, literally no one Scotty, else Scotty, yes. Bones. That is the only person yes. that needs to be on that ship. So that's what I mean. The only people who, like, the three people that I would say were automatic yeses on that ship are Scotty, Bones, 
And because it was the 1960s, Lieutenant Girl or Guillaume and Girl. <laughs> because, whatever. I would have given you that. Yes. I think Spock would have put himself on the ship. I don't, I don't. think he would have. It, make, it makes logical sense for him to be on the ship. Why? Because he is the first officer of the Enterprise. He is the only science officer there as well. And he was a good problem solver. He did get them off the, off the planet. Yes, but in this command situation, his job is to protect his crew. Yeah. Oh, no, I think he would have put himself on the ship. I, I do think, not. I think in, in, in the sense of... No, not thinking... Logically, for them to survive, they needed people who could problem solve. I don't think Lieutenant Blueshirt was one of them. I think that he would have left him there. Not, no, the not in a cold-hearted, self-serving way, but it is logical for him to save himself because he is so important to the running of the Enterprise. Mm, the Enterprise mm. would have been fine, ultimately. The thing is that in the context of this mission... He's not necessary. And the thing is that if they don't lift off right now... He is now, necessary. He's the commander. What are they supposed to do without him? They need to get back into orbit. That's the only thing they need to do. By the way, if the Enterprise doesn't find them in their in orbit, they will die anyway. Yes, but Spock is also the one who does a lot of the engineering and a lot of the problem solving. And I think, I think Kareen, your, your, your view of Spock only holds if we believe what this episode is telling us and that he is 100% logic all the time and doesn't... And doesn't have any emotions or feelings whatsoever for Except the crew. Except it turns out that's not true. Because, like, we've said that one of the things is the way he was making decisions didn't feel like it belonged to Spock. Like, he has been working with these people. He would put some consideration on them. He's and the logical training. thing for him to do would be to make as make sure as many of his crew members and his crewmates would get stay alive. Which is why he ordered them not to which save him. Which he stated him. as his goal multiple times throughout this episode. Yeah. So like, I have absolutely no, no doubts whatsoever that if Spock had had to order people to stay behind on the planet the first one would be him and it would also I think be the only way he would have the moral authority to order two other people yeah is if he wasn't absolutely. I'm not going to save myself yeah I mean it definitely wouldn't have worked no one else would have and it's also upheld Starfleet tradition it's like it's what commanders do go down with the ship basically yeah yeah, in this case, the be, ship being they have to be planet. on the <laughs> ship to go down with it. Yes, all right, but in this case, I hear what you're saying, Kim. Yeah. I do not agree with you at all. Okay, um, I don't think I don't think that I accept the premise that he is without an empathy for people, but not yet, not to the point where he would be able to make an illogical decision for him to leave himself behind. I don't I don't agree that it's the logical decision for him to go. I don't understand how Lieutenant Girl is more useful than him. Well, I think it's more that he has a responsibility to care for these people, and logically the best way in that situation that if they needed to keep people behind is to pick at least one person who would not argue with it, and that would be him. I think that he the would goal have chose three people the who the had the best chance to survive on the planet against the Roar Monsters. That would still be him. Okay, so they do lift off, though. <laughs> we'll just agree to... Strong disagree. Yeah, we'll, we'll agree to strongly so disagree with each other. Yes. And they they lift off. Orbit. They're on orbit. Um, they have 45 minutes left to kind of just meander around in space. And then they take a minute to talk about the fuel as though it's solid, which makes no sense because it's charged from the phasers. It is energy. And so Spock makes a strange, impulsive decision to essentially light her up. But he dumps the fuel supply and ignites it, which again, makes no sense. No. No. Uh, but basically what he does is he turns, he turns the shuttle into a firecracker, basically. Yeah. So that there's a big glowing streak across the planet. Which I would argue is the most logical thing oh, yeah. to do. Oh yeah, very sensible. Uh, to be honest, I didn't realize he was trying to like do a, like a, a beacon, like a flare to the Enterprise. I thought it was trying to get more like push to get out of orbit. That's what so I thought initially too, but yeah. Um, 
because basically they're not going to be able to stay in orbit. By the way, I'm pretty sure this is not how orbit works. You don't need fuel to maintain an orbit, otherwise the ISS would crash down every couple of days. I think it was to get themselves far enough into orbit so that they wouldn't have a decaying orbit. So they were just in a shitty orbit to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because they had to get further out. They got themselves up, but it was a shitty orbit. Yeah. I accept that. And we go back to... It is tense on the bridge of the Enterprise right now. And dark. Yeah. Someone turned off the lights. It's the anxiety lights. Oh, I see. And Scotty is very impressed at Spock's decision because it's like, oh, it's like a flare. Yep. Mm -hmm. And Scotty says it's a good gamble, but it might not be enough. Scotty is charmed by this, by the way. So is McCoy, because he's like, ooh, the last action you'll ever make, and it's all human. (laughs) so irritating. (laughs) McCoy wants to, like, lure him over to the human side, baby. All Um, the time. This is where all the OT3 fit came from. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. And so, obviously... (laughs) They detect the flare. They detect the flare. The ship gets hot for no... Lieutenant Girl. Doesn't this ship have heat shield in this fucking shuttle? They're all so sweaty again. Yeah. Well, it like, is a Star Trek episode. Everyone's got to get our, the sweats. Our shuttles, like 250 years before this episode takes place, at least, have heat shielding. Like, they've been falling into the atmosphere for, what, five seconds? <laughs> and the ship's already on fire? Guys, have you heard of ceramic? <laughs> no. So they get beamed back up onto the ship because, of course, they do. The ship blows up in the atmosphere, but Uhura reports that everyone is alive and well because, of course, they are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cut forward to everyone on the bridge, all like, oh, back to where it was. And then Kirk goes over to have one of their, like, snuggly fireside chats. Yeah. Yeah. That they have, I feel like they have quite a bit now. Bridge cuddle time. Bridge cuddle time. Where he's like, ooh, that was an act of desperation, which I would say is a highly emotional state of mind. And Spock says, I examined the problem, it was hopeless, so the actions had to be desperate, you know, in response. And I reasoned that it it was time for an emotional outburst. (laughs) And then my favorite part of the whole episode, where everybody on the crew goes, ah ha ha ha, ah ha ha ha! Basically, they all fall down laughing. Oh, I don't think they so slept. Dumb. I don't think anyone on the ship has slept for two days. It was so dumb. It was Although I do eerie. like that while this is happening, Uhura and Mirrors, who are having like a little chat off to the side of the bridge, which I yes. liked. They they both Uhura's like, shh, shh, I want to eavesdrop <laughs> so that she can laugh at them later. Oh. It's weird because again, Star Trek vacillates wildly between this is a quasi-militaristic structure of command where mm. everyone has to pay attention, you must respect me and my rank, to we're a big old happy family here on the bridge of the Star Trek. They don't get this right during the series. They it's get a it. really long, sustained laugh, is all yeah. I'm saying. It is a it really, keeps really going. Like, they take pauses and a breath and then keep going. And That's like, why I think like hysterical laughter, because no one slept in two days. <laughs> That's the only Except for the high sense. commissioner, who I assume was swanning in and out as his naps just dictated. I assume he just puts his cape over his head <laughs> and just zonks out forever. <laughs> or hangs upside down like a bat. <laughs> like a bat. <laughs> That's yeah. true. So that's the episode Galileo 7. So you're trapped on a desert island. Yeah. Who do you want with you? You get to choose one. Uh, out of the cast for this episode? Uh, in all of original series. Uhura. Okay. Scotty. Ooh, I take my I'm going to have to go with Scotty. Sh- <laughs> no, 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 you already had it. I'm taking Scotty too. He does things. Yeah. He can build a fucking boat. We get off that island immediately. Here's the one I'm picking Scotty. He can fix all the shit. 
He's and he's good natured, so you're he not going to have natured. a terrible time being trapped on this planet with someone who's going to question everything you do and tell you you don't feel right about his decisions. He also probably has booze on him somewhere. I, yes. I'm choosing the secret option number three. Screw your one person. I want to hurt and Scott. You can only have one. It's the nature of the you question. You can make up uh-huh. your own rules. Yes, no. I can. I'm a maverick. <laughs> That is patently untrue. <laughs> um, we had uh, five ladies plus a possible sixth that I could not 100% make out in one of the bridge scenes where there were like a bunch of ladies in the bridge and seven people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, we had two people from the seven dead. I think there were two people dead from the other away mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's four people confirmed dead. Plus, whoever was on like Paris Two, who died because there was a little bit of a delay in getting the they medication. Did, there to was them. No, no delay. They made, Kim. Their, they made their rendezvous. Yes, they made the rendezvous. Paris was saved. <laughs> Tom Paris survived. Um, so, performance of the episode, Kim, giving it to Leonard Nimoy. I really liked him in this. You would, wouldn't you? Of course, I would. Who else am I going to pick? I don't know. All right. I'm honestly I'm torn between Nimoy and Shatner. I liked Shatner's belligerence. I felt like Shatner was having a grumpy week. He was sassy pants McGee, which of course I dug. Yes, of course you did. Yes, <laughs> but uh, do you want to come down on either one? Mm-mm. <laughs> no. Oh, Kareem. You're welcome. I'm actually going to give it to Scotty. Oh. For sitting quietly until he was needed. Yeah, for sitting quietly <laughs> until he was needed, and also not being a whiny bitch about being trapped on that island. Yeah. Well, he's an engineer. He's so amiable. Yeah. yeah. Um, James Doohan was a very nice man, apparently. He just pulls it off so well. I would love to be trapped on an island with him. I also thought um, McCoy did a good job. Mm. Um, DeForest Kelly was good. I would almost give it to Nimoy, but there was a couple of moments where I was like, you could be doing something a little bit more with this material. Okay, that's fair. And I, I, I'm giving it to Nimoy because I like the role for him, even though it was badly written and out of character. But I don't blame Nimoy for that. No. It, yeah. He gets so much better once they figured out Vulcans. Yeah. But it takes a really long time. I think it's it's tough. It's tough to imagine... Of people without emotions because emotion do- dominates so much of what we do and what we don't realize it dominates. Yeah. So to get that right, to have a real sense of what that culture would be like, does take a while to figure out. Well, also terrible 1960s writing inconsistency in general. Yes. The writing was a problem. Speaking of which, Kim, life lessons that we can take away from this. When in a military command structure, obey your commanding officer. <laughs> You'd be so happy in the military. Oh, I you, would Kim? not be happy in the military. I would hate the military. It's too much running. <laughs> all right, all right. You know what the chain of command is? It's a chain I'm going to go get and beat, with, beat you with until you realize he's in command. <laughs> okay, that is a quote from something. What is that Our a quote from? Oh, God. <laughs> That's what I kept thinking every time Bomer or Latimer or... Gaetano said something stupid and inappropriately sentimental right in the middle of a situation where he needed to just fucking run away instead of stop and like throw flowers on the grave of the guy. It's like, dudes, just priorities. It's the chain I'm gonna beat you with until you realize who's in command. <laughs> yeah. That was Mal, right? That was Mal. <laughs> <laughs> Who would also have been a terrible Starfleet right. officer. Yes. Kareem, life lesson. Mutiny on the bounty happened for a reason. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
All right, so that has been our episode. Remember to rate and review us on iTunes and have a better day than Spock was having, I guess. Uh, farewell from Cream. Bye from Kim. Bye from Ari. And also, you should read about quasars. They're fascinating. Yes.